favor. The other, which we're going to cover today, is license. And basically what that means is if we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, not by our own works, then why would we do anything good? Why would we ever pursue righteousness? Why not just go sin like crazy? Throughout church history, this has been called antinomianism, which from the Greek means against the law. And it says, if Jesus saved us and it's by faith alone, then I don't need to act righteously in any way, shape, or form. And this is what Paul speaks against today. And he talks about this civil war waging inside of us in which the flesh says, do this, but the Holy Spirit says, do this. And so if you would, let's read together Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 26, excuse me, through 25. Galatians 5, 16 through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify The desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the thing you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the work of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we dive into this text and we are honest about our inner civil war, I pray that you would give us the freedom and understanding of your game plan, of how we might fight against the flesh for the freedom that the Spirit gives to us, Lord God. Pray that you would open our hearts, God. Help us to see the areas in in our life where this applies. Help us to see the joy of the truth of what your word says. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So our hearts are in a civil war, the flesh versus the spirit. Verse 17 says this very clearly. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Let me give you a few examples in my own life. One of the happiest days of my summer was this past week when they reopened Highway 172. And the reason is, is because I worked down by a Schwabame Park, which is south of 172 on Broadway, and it would take me 10 minutes to get to work and about 25 minutes to get home. And so when I would drive home, I would have to drive up Broadway, and many times I would get stuck behind someone going two or three or four or five miles below the speed limit. 
and I'm in my car, if I'm not saying out loud, I'm thinking, you don't even deserve a driver's license. What's wrong with you? Get off your cell phone, right? Maybe you think that too. Get off your cell phone. Come on, let's go. And if they don't put on their turn signal, oh, I am undone. Even even if they're turning onto the ramp that I'm going to turn on, I'm sitting there thinking, you should have put on your turn signal so I could have mentally prepared myself to be patient with you. And then I know, Lord God, you've been so patient with me. Help me to be patient with this person. I know you can't relate to this at all. The flesh wars against the spirit. You see this all over the place. There is a reason why it is so much easier to remember a quote from the movie than to memorize a verse of scripture. There's a reason why it's easier to memorize the 22 starters of the Packers than the 12 disciples. It's because the flesh and the spirit are constantly warring against each other. There is a civil war in your heart. Please tell me you understand this. I feel it daily. There are 15 second civil wars countless times a day in my heart. And so what we want to look at today is how could we possibly gain any victory in this battle? How do we live victoriously over the flesh? And so we're just going to work through this passage and we're going to look at the works of the flesh, team flesh. Okay, we're going to look at the fruit of the spirit, team spirit, not team spirit, team spirit. And we're going to look at God's battle plan for victory. So let's first look at the works of the flesh. (coughs) The works of the flesh. First, let's define flesh. Flesh in this passage doesn't mean skin. Um, You don't need to mutilate yourself. This isn't what it's calling for. Flesh is our fallen human nature with all of its sinful desires. Our fallen human nature with all of its sinful desires. And so apart from divine influence, we live by the flesh. God created man perfect. He created him perfectly righteous. He created him in a perfect relationship with God. He created him perfect. And yet man fell from that perfection. He fell from his righteousness. He fell from his relationship with God. And so we call that the fall. And we live as fallen human beings in which the flesh is always present and always active. And so when man fell, man started to pervert God's creation. God created everything perfect and wonderful. Nothing was created that was sinful. Nothing. And yet man has perverted all these good things and brought sin into the world. And so instead of living according to God's beautiful, good, and righteous plan, we have perverted things. And what Paul says in verse 19 is that these are the works, that the works of the flesh are evident. He says, you can tell when the flesh is at work. You can tell that the flesh is work because it leaves evidence everywhere. All right? It's like a little kid eating an ice cream cone. Right? It's all over his face. It's on his shirt, sometimes on top of his head. I've even seen it on their back. There's evidence everywhere of the flesh waging war in your life. And so he says these are the evidences of that, these perversions that we see in society. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to break down. Uh, I, can't, I don't know how many actual things there are here, but there's sort of five different areas that he puts these in. And so I'm just going to briefly go through these so that we can see and remember and know how the flesh is waging war 
in our life. First is, the first evidence, he says, is sexual perversion. Verse 19, he says, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensualities. These are evidence of the work of the flesh. Sexual immorality is simply adultery. Uh, If you are sleeping with someone that is not your husband or not your wife, that would be the sexual immorality. Impurity is fornication, unnatural sexual relations, weird stuff. Um, sensuality, a lustful lifestyle, a, a lifestyle of thinking about sexuality, of wanting to indulge in it. Now, sex is a good and wonderful thing that God has created. It's an amazing thing that God has created. Another sermon for another day, but I think Christian couples should be the ones that have the greatest sex lives because it is a gift from God. Married couples, excuse me. But it is a good thing that we have perverted. Pure Life Ministries is a Christian ministry that deals with sexual addictions, and it talks about their interview, their survey of Christians, and it says 50% of Christian men admit that they are addicted to pornography. 20% of Christian women say they struggle with pornography, and 47% said pornography is a problem in their home. And so sex is something that God created that is good, that is wonderful, but you see the flesh waging war inside Christians. Second evidence that he goes through here is worship perversion. Verse 20 says idolatry and sorcery. We have this image that idolatry is like a big tall statue that people bow down to and worship, like a big green letter G or something like that. But idolatry is so much bigger. It's whatever takes first place takes God's place. Whatever you would not want to lose in place of God, that is what we idol. It is good things, good things that God has created. It could be our kids, wonderful things. But it could be our idol as well. It could be success in the workplace, a great, wonderful thing from God. And yet it could be our idol. It could be our ultimate goal in life, the thing that we derive our happiness and joy from because it takes God place. And so he talks about idolatry. He says sorcery, which is simply kind of black magic type of weird pursuing darkness types of things. But there is perversion of worship. There's also relational perversion that's evidence of the flesh. He says in verse 20, and this is the longest list of all, he says there's enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, and envy. There's enmity and strife. If you hate someone because they don't put on their turn signal, it's envy. I'm sorry, it's enmity. It's strife. If you're jealous, if you're envious, if you see the Joneses next door have a nice new car or a perfect lawn, which is my one, they have a perfect lawn. You're like, I got to have that. It's jealousy, it's envy, it's the flesh waging war. Fits of anger, rivalries, divisions, dissensions. If you're easily angered by your brother, by your sister, by your mom, by your dad, by your husband, by your wife, by your kids, fits of anger. These are all the flesh waging war. There's also... Alcohol perversion is the only term I could think of. It says drunkenness and orgies. Basically, if you drink too much or if you drink a lot so you can do stupid things. Now, I know in Wisconsin we don't deal with this, but um, actually, do we have a map? Do we have that map up there? All right, here's a map. And what it is, is it is a correlation of 
bars to grocery stores, all right? The red is where there are more bars than grocery stores. And uh, there's one state that looks particularly red up there, isn't there? <laughs> the sad thing is that even our grocery stores have bars in them. So I don't, I don't know how you calculate that. But drunkenness is one of the evidences of the flesh waging war. Alcohol, a good thing. God created. Jesus drank alcohol. But the abuse of it is perversion. It's perversion of what God created it for. Finally, the last category is everything perversion. Verse 21, and things like these. And so anything that God created to be good and wonderful that we have perverted is evidence of our flesh waging war against the spirit. And so here's the point. We are in a civil war in our heart in which the flesh wages war against the spirit. Do you feel that? Do you Do you feel that war every day? It's normal. It's okay. And a matter of fact, it's good. Because if you don't feel that civil war, the flesh against the spirit, something is drastically wrong. And this is what he says in verse 21. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not talking about a Christian that is battling against these temptations That's not what he's talking about, because even back in verse 17, he says, you aren't able to do the things you want to do. Paul says this is a battle, but if you have a lifestyle in which there is no battle, there is no struggle, there is outright surrender to the sin in your life, Jesus Christ couldn't possibly be inside of you. The Holy Spirit couldn't possibly be inside you because God loves you too much to keep you still. He loves you too much for you to be okay with the sin in your life. He doesn't deal with it all at once. We'd be dead if he did. But he loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. He loves you just as you are, but too much to leave you that way. And so it's a good thing when we see this battle going on in our heart. I met with a friend recently who who said, you know, I I keep wondering if I'm a Christian because I have all these struggles. He says, like, I struggle a lot with cussing. I struggle a lot with, and that's just the beginning of it. But this is such good news for us. Is it? I, I mean, this is such a relief for me to know that because of the battle, I know that the Holy Spirit is at work in my heart and in my life trying to transform me into the image of Jesus Christ. This is such good news. And I am so relieved to know that even Paul knew about this battle. He didn't say there's some guy named Joe in Ephesus 300 years ago that battled with sin. Say this is true of believers. There is a constant civil war going on inside of us. And if you feel the civil war, that means the Holy Spirit is fighting. The Holy Spirit is fighting for possession of your heart. And so that is the work of the flesh. Let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. It says, while our flesh perverts creation, basically while our flesh perverts creation, the Holy Spirit restores creation, okay? It brings us back to Eden. It brings us back to before the fall. That's what it's doing. It's reversing the effects of the fall. It's bringing righteousness. And so the flesh leaves evidence, right? Like a tornado that goes through a town. It leaves evidence of destruction wherever it goes. But the Spirit breeds fruit, like a gentle rain. It brings fruit to the Christian. And the commentary that I read sort of broke this down into three parts, that we see fruit Godward, towards God, 
towards man, towards other people, and towards ourselves. And so we'll look at, at that briefly. Um, a lot of people break this down into a nine-week sermon. I'm going to go through it in about 90 seconds. So, uh, First God word, verse 22, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. A Christian's first love and greatest love is for God. That is who we desire to be with. When the Spirit speaks inside of us, that's who our heart longs for. Is it longs for God. God is our chief joy. We are happy in Jesus. He makes us delighted. We have peace with God, overwhelming peace with God. And so it gives us peace in our circumstances because we know that God that loves us and cares for us and wants good for us is in control of all of our circumstances. And so there is a Godward element to the fruit of the Spirit. There's also a manward element, that there is patience, kindness, and goodness, that we are patient with other people, that we long suffer for them and with them when they annoy us, when they're difficult, when they are a burden. We're patient in loving them forever because that's what Jesus has done for us. There is kindness as we are a people of cheer towards others, not falsely, but we say, I rejoice because you are a person created in the image of God. You're dear to your heavenly father and you're dear to me. And I am cheerful to be with you. Goodness, acting righteously towards other people, doing what is right and good. And so God word, man word, finally self word, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, being a reliable person, someone that is reliable in pursuing God, gentleness, having humility and meekness that Jesus exhibited, and self-control or self-mastery, being able to master your own passions and desires and the flesh. You may remember two weeks ago I said, Christ set us free not to do whatever we want. Christ set us free to do what we ought. The freedom that Christ gives is not freedom for sin. It's freedom from sin, from the penalty and the power of sin. And so inside of us, as we look at this, we see this battle because we long for these things. We long for creation. We long to return to what it's supposed to be like. We long to return to the Garden of Eden. And we see all of this fruit of the Spirit. And we say, yes, that's what we want through the Holy Spirit. And yet our flesh looks at the other list and says, no, that's what we want. And there is this battle waging inside. We read from Romans 7. I'm just going to read one verse. But this is what Paul talks about in Romans 7 as well. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, which comes from the Holy Spirit, but not the ability to carry it out. 15-second civil wars going on throughout your life every day. Battling flesh against spirit. You may have seen the show Wipeout. It's sort of gaining in popularity. Um, I always get exhausted just watching the show. I don't know if you've seen it, but basically what it is is there's this obstacle course with cushions and pads all over, and then there's tons of water. There's like shooting balls. There's, there's, there's water rockets. There's all these things going in. So they have to get through this obstacle course and they have to get to the end, but they have all these things kind of raging against them. All this water, all these obstacles, and no one ever gets through on the first try ever because they always make sure they, they tilt a table down or they fire them with a cannon. Or the other day I saw this woman walking up this slide and there was literally a avalanche of water that just came over her and 
So they make it impossible to get there on the first time. And I just get exhausted watching it. And sometimes I think the Christian life is a lot like that. In my spirit, I know where I want to go. I know where I want to be. But there are all these forces, this flesh waging war against me. And it's so difficult to do as God called me to do sometimes. Maybe you can relate. And so what we want to look at is the battle plan that God gives for this war, the battle plan for victory. Paul starts by reminding us what is true. Verse 24, he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What he's saying is if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have surrendered your life to him, everything, every part of your life, you have even surrendered your sin and you have nailed it to the cross. Jesus has nailed it to the cross because you have given it to him. And there is nothing in your life that he cannot take away from you. There is no temptation that he cannot overcome in your life. God is powerful enough to rule over your flesh because Christ had the flesh ripped from his body with the cat and nine tails. He was stripped of his skin and he was hammered to the cross, dying for the penalty for your sinful flesh so that you could have victory over it so that you could have relationship with God again, that you could once again have power over the flesh. And so he says, you have given Christ your flesh with his passions and desires. And that is the reality that Christ is in control, that he is more powerful than the sinful desires in your life. He says this in 2.20, in Galatians 2.20, if you remember, it's a popular verse. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We have crucified our flesh, and Christ now dwells inside of us. Therefore, there is nothing in your life, there is no temptation, no sin that God cannot reign victorious over. There's nothing. Not one thing. Because Christ is sufficient. It's not you who fights, but God who does. And so Paul starts by reminding them the truth that we have crucified the flesh. And now he goes on to talk about the battle plan for victory. How do we conquer the flesh? And before I get there, let me say, we won't do this perfectly. We will fail many times, but there is great hope here. And he doesn't say what you need to do is you just need to work harder to control your sexuality. You need to work harder to control your worship, your rage, your alcohol. You need to work harder on being more Godward in your fruit. You need to be more manward in your fruit. You need to be more selfward in your fruit. He doesn't say you need to try harder, pull yourself by the bootstraps and go. That doesn't work. It never does because the flesh is always there. But he gives a solution. He gives a divine victory proclamation. And in this passage, in verse 16 to 25, he gives two commands in two different places, and the commands are the same. Let's look at the first one. Verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The sentence structure here is really important because he gives you a command. He says, walk by the Spirit. That's your command. That's what you're to do. Walk by the Spirit. And then it's followed by a promise. And the promise is, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
And so he's saying, you don't even need to really focus on the desires of the flesh. What you need to focus on is the spirit and you need to walk by the spirit. Verse 25, he, he says this again. And again, he starts with what is true. He says, if we live by the spirit, the Holy Spirit has given us life just as God had breathed life into Adam for his physical life. God has breathed life into us through his Holy Spirit to give us spiritual life. And he says, you are alive by the Holy Spirit. We have been given life by the Spirit. And he goes on to say, let us also walk by the Spirit. The same command as earlier in verse 16. What he's saying here in verse 25, the the essence or the feeling of what he's commanding is a, a, a military platoon that would walk in line after their leader. They would follow the man in charge. They would follow the one who is directing them. Even Jesus Christ had to keep in step with the Spirit. And he's the Son of God. In Luke 4, 1 through 2, Jesus, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And so when Jesus was going through his temptations, when the flesh was there wanting to wage war, he had to be led by the Spirit. And so what does it mean to walk by the Spirit or walk in step with the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit? Because that's kind of mysterious, right? How do I, how am I led by the Spirit in this war that's waging? I think an illustration might be the most helpful way to explain it. When I was, uh, when my grandpa passed away a few weeks ago, my whole family was trying to get to Ohio. And one of my sisters lives in Kansas City. Another, my brother lives in Chicago in Indiana. And then we were going to drive to Ohio. So my sister flew to Chicago because it was much cheaper. I picked her up at the airport. And then we drove to my brother's place, which is in Chicago, but across the border in Indiana. And so I picked her up from the airport and we type in his address into the GPS. And so we type in the, we, we type in the GPS and we're following it along and we're going, but my sister and I, we want to catch up. We haven't seen each other in a long time. And so we're talking. I'm not kidding you. We probably missed five turns while the GPS was going. You think we would learn, but the GPS is constantly telling us this is the direction you should go. This is, this is take this turn left, take this turn right, go straight ahead. Christians have a GPS called the Holy Spirit that is there to guide you and direct you. And the Holy Spirit whispers to you through the word of God. You know, it was the Holy Spirit that inspired the authors to write something that is infallible, that is without error. It is the Holy Spirit that allows you to even read the scriptures and understand it. The Holy Spirit works in your heart as you hear the word of God proclaimed. The Holy Spirit works in your heart through prayer as you seek him. And he is a GPS to guide you and direct you, but he's also a motor that empowers you. We have a GPS called the Holy Spirit. It's God in us. The the Civil War ended in... 1865, and eventually there was peace, there was reconciliation among many brothers who had come home from war, uh, who had fought on the different sides and had survived. There was peace eventually. There will be a peace one day where this war will no longer rage. It's when we're with Jesus. It's when we're in heaven with him. 
But now in this life, there will be a civil war. The rest of your life, there will be a civil war in which the law, the, excuse me, the flesh and the spirit battle for mastery of your heart. Paul doesn't say try harder. He says depend on the Holy Spirit. Depend on God himself. Walk by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess to you that we often submit to the flesh. We often turn over to the flesh, God. Countless times a day, Lord, knowing your fruit of the Spirit, we long for it, but we can't do it under our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us, God. And Lord, there is an active decision of saying yes to the Holy Spirit, Lord, as we understand his will through the word, through prayer, and through your grace, Lord. God, I pray that this week as we go through these various civil wars, these battles in our lives, Lord, that you would empower us to follow the GPS you have given us, follow the Holy Spirit, which guides us and directs us through your word, through your saints, through prayer, to live a life of freedom that you have intended for us. We pray for your grace in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.